You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. Eternal God, maker of heaven and earth, we ask that you provide for us your presence. We've welcomed you through worship. We ask that as we open up your word, that you will come, not in word alone, but in power, with full conviction and with your Holy Spirit. This is our prayer through Jesus, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. You can be seated. It is an outstanding time to be a part of First Christian. There are so many folks that are coming our way that are hungry for Jesus, that are looking for Jesus for the first time in their life. And so I invite uh, all of us to be praying as we together seek to follow Jesus, which is our mission. When people come for the very first time to Scripture and they're seeking God, that's, that's a key time to be praying the Lord's blessing on them. So we're glad that you're here. If, if you're new to Jesus, if you've been following Jesus a long time, whoever you are, come with us. We, we uh, are making our way through this life by the only way that one should do it, and that is following Jesus. Today, today I want to wake you up. I mean, do you know what time it is? Okay, yes, I know. It's 1025. Do you know the urgency of what time it is right now? No, I'm not talking about Black Friday sales that are coming, that are already here. I'm not talking about Thanksgiving or the fact that the Christmas countdown began the day after Halloween. I'm not talking about that kind of urgency. I'm talking about the significance of the clock in our lives at this moment. Of course, we turned our clocks into a new direction two weeks ago. And some of you, even though we got to fall back, you're finding yourself ahead of yourself and behind all at the same time. You still are not on this time zone. I'm not talking about clocks and days and seasons. I'm talking about your life. I want to wake you up in the midst of your life right now because I think we're asleep. I think we're sleepwalking through our days. We've kind of got life on autopilot. We're just going from one class to the next if we're in school. We're doing the family thing. We're doing the work thing. We're doing whatever is our normal thing. And we're just on autopilot through this life. And the emergency of the message today is one that I think is timely and appropriate, especially given the climate and the context and the background of what we're in right now. If you'll allow me to just kind of step back and look at where we've been, where we are as a culture, I don't want to bring this up as a diagnosis or anything, but it's just something that I see. We've, we've come out of this pandemic, this two-year pandemic, where the first year was a lockdown, and the next year was the stop-start, try to figure out how to engage, and now we're in this third year where we're into normal life, kind of, but yet that is still dictating who we are. I think in some ways there's anxiety, there's difficulty in our minds and in our hearts that's maybe affected young people the most, but I don't want to target any one age because I think we've all gone through hardship on this. And you might hear this and think that I'm, 
I'm thinking just about the pandemic. No, I don't want you to hear this as a diagnosis, some kind of universal diagnosis. That wouldn't be on anyway. Nor am, today am I going to give you some prescription, the universal answer for all of this. What I want you to look at is just how this has amplified the way we've been as a culture, kind of who we are and what we've prioritized, which is the self. Me ordering this world and this life around myself. And Paul comes to a point where he jars us awake. And so I'm just going to read snippets of verses today. And the place I'm going to be is in Romans chapter 13. And I'm going to start in verse 11 and 12. Besides this, Paul says, you know what time it is and how it is now the moment for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us than when we became believers. The night, it's far gone. The day is near. Let us then lay aside the works of darkness and let's put on the armor of light. That's kind of jarring. Paul just kind of jumps in our face, jars us awake and says, wake up. I don't know, you know, this is a long letter, you know, this is the longest letter in extant Greek, you know, all of ancient Greece. So maybe you get to chapter 12 and you're dozing off a little bit. Or maybe uh, Sister Phoebe, who was the preacher or proclaimer of this passage to all of these churches in Rome, maybe, maybe as Phoebe comes before the group, she's noticing that they're falling asleep and so she's able to punch these words from Paul Wake up, it's daylight time, it's not nighttime anymore. Have you ever had anybody wake you up? Jarring you awake because you overslept, you're going to miss work, you're going to miss school. Think of that circumstance, kind of hold that with you for a bit. Who it was that woke you up? Uh, did you still like them? you still talk to them? you still go to that camp where they bang the pans to get you awake? Paul jars us awake because our actions are actually nighttime actions. We should be daytime people, but we're slothful and asleep and dead on our own watch, right? We're not where we need to be. Basically, he's saying we're asleep to God. The presence of God in our life, his activity in our lives, we have gone to sleep and we're living in the darkness. We've forgotten that we're healed and saved and delivered. And we are living in the darkness. And Paul says, get up. Get up. It's a time of eternal significance. It's a time of eschatological significance. What? Wait, what, what is this word, Brady? Okay, eschatological. This is about living in the present moment based upon what God is doing in the future. So it's your actions in the here and now that are actions of hope about where God is bringing this world, about the completion that He is bringing in our lives. And yet, if you're like me, you sometimes find yourself asleep. And it takes even Eugene Peterson to kind of shake me awake. Eugene Peterson's The Message Version in Romans 13, 11. It, it reads like this. Do not be absorbed and exhausted in your day-to-day -day obligations. Losing track of time, dozing off and oblivious to God. But wake up. 
Wake up to what God is doing in your life. I think this message in this text that we're looking at today speaks to complacent bosses, to workers that have fallen asleep on their keyboard, to people that are just walking through a lonely heart kind of life, for even those parents that are checked out parents, you know, parents that have read that fake book, Complacency Parenting 101. You know, I I don't want to say anything to my kid. I don't want to do anything. I don't want to make them mad. I don't want to speak to them about the reality as I've seen it or experienced it because I want them to still like me. Just We're drawn into complacency, checked out parenting. Absorbed, exhausted into our screens, stuck behind our four walls, drawing the curtains to justify our isolated lives based upon our circumstances. Well, you don't understand. You don't know what I've been through. And so... We're seeking love, we're seeking relationship, but we're doing it from our couch. And we're doing it from a place where Paul speaks in verses 13 and 14 of some negative things. Let me draw you to these verses as we keep going down the page here. Verse 13 and 14. Let's live honorably as in the day, not in reveling and drunkenness, not in debauchery and licentiousness, not in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. We're living in these worlds, another string of big words, right? But these worlds of focusing in on ourselves. Yeah, I I want love. Jump up off off the couch. I'm going to pursue love in any way that I can. Sleeping with someone else's spouse. Being a part of an orgy involved in lewdness and quarreling. I mean, Paul takes us into the dark side, and, and you might say, well, uh-oh. Are these things wrong? I mean, I've, I've dealt with this in the last few months. Am I kicked out now? Look, God can take care of what you've been through in your life. God can handle it. There's not some boundary that you've crossed where somewhere you're out and you can't come to know who God is. There's no darkness that God cannot pull you out of. That's not what he's saying. So there's no uh uh-oh here. But God is coming and saying, wake up. These actions that you're involved in of seeking love in these other places are not going to provide you satisfactory love. They're going to be empty. They're going to leave you high and dry even though they feel like they're powerfully loving. Wake up to God, he says. And then he gives us some positives. The positives that he gives us here are to put on Christ, to to let Christ be your dress, as if your armor is like light radiating out from you, where Jesus can come into your life and illuminate all the shadows of your life, those things that are difficult that you're dealing with. Instead of guiding ourselves based upon our desires, we come into the daytime and make, as he says, no provision for the flesh. If we're living totally guided by our desires, I've said it many times, those desires are unruly, they're uncontainable, and when they're unleashed, they're like dogs that are not well trained, they will run over you and eat you alive. Desires are no way to run your life. All of these verses set us up for ones that I want us to really look at and spend our time on. The the verses that I've actually skipped. 
verses 8 and 10. Because when Paul says, but we know, uh, besides this, you know what time it is. What do you mean, besides what? What is it, Paul? What have you been telling us that we need to know? Let's look at verse 8, 9, and 10. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment, they're summed in, up in this word, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. All right, now this is a strange way for Paul to turn in this moment when he's trying to wake everyone up to talk about paying love. Now, I don't know how that hits you, but it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Paying love, that's a strange oxymoron. And here we hit the buzzer. Brady, that's two words that are already way over our heads. You've done eschatology. Now, oxymoron, what? Okay, oxymoron, it's just a figure of speech. Paul's kind of known for it. It's, it's where you take two contradictory things and you put them together. So whenever Paul says, don't lag in your zeal, like don't lollygag and being fast, you kind of scratch your head and say, well, which is it? Or if you tell someone, you know, he's an ugly kind of handsome. Okay, I don't know if that's a compliment or not. Or you look at a car and you say, that's a beautiful piece of junk. That's an oxymoron. And so for Paul to say, pay love, I I don't understand that. What's he, what's he after? What do you mean paying for love? That doesn't sound like the kind of love we would want or that's meaningful. I mean, it sounds like prostitution. It sounds like a mail-order bride. Or it sounds like having rich friends just because of the perks that you might have by hanging around rich friends. If you have to pay someone to be around, then that doesn't really seem like love at all. And yet Paul says... Owe no one anyone, anything except for the debt of love. Now last week I wanted to skip the verses that we were looking at. Paul's been talking about payment even since uh, verse 7, where he says, uh, pay what is owed. Pay to the government, pay your bills, pay respect, pay honor, pay what is owed. And then he does this little shift where he says, owe no one anything except for the, the debt of love. Because love is the fulfilling of the law. Oh, we like love as Christians. We like talking about love. It's, it's very central to Scripture. It's a part of what we're about. And we're not surprised when he says it fulfills the law. We know that, right? If you truly seek to love other people, you will naturally fulfill the law. Because Love of neighbor is about seeking their highest good. I really like that definition of love. Where you want what is best for another person, you're willing and wanting that good, that, that's a good definition of love. That's a very Christian definition of love. Where I'm intent upon advancing what's good for you. And it takes it out of rom-com love. This is not some quirky guy and some strange girl that really shouldn't fit together but end up being a match in some strange circumstance. It's not emotional and full of feelings. It's not even romantic love of having the right curves or muscles or 
deep eyes to gaze into or deep conversations. It's, it's not that kind of romantic, emotional, feeling love that fades away. This love lasts, wanting what is best for another person. What Paul says is something that has continued on even from chapter 12. A stunning thing that the people that we're supposed to love are not just a boyfriend or a girlfriend, not just a family member, but the person that's persecuting you. Chapter 12, verse 14. Your enemy, the one that you want to seek revenge after to want what's good for them. That's the Christian kind of love. The one that is your attacker, that is the one that you're to show love. And we're talking very fundamentally about a different kind of love. You might not realize it, but we don't get to choose who our neighbor is. We don't choose our enemy or our persecutors. I mean, we might live in a neighborhood that has a select group of community that's gated and locked away, but we don't get to choose our neighbors. Like, I'm going to love that person and not this person. Our neighbors are the people that God puts in our path. Those enemies, those persecutors, that is where we're exercising this kind of love. To show love that wants what is best for another. And I'm still spinning on this debt part. I mean, how does that make sense? Is, is Paul just wanting us to understand that this is ongoing? That it's kind of like the bill that's on auto draft. We're always going to be offering our love. I, I think so. I think that's a part of it. Isn't marriage that way? Where you're constantly learning new ways to love your mate? When you've got kids, when you don't have kids. When those kids leave home. When you're on payday. When you're at the end of the month and there is not money. When you're in old age, when you're young, when you're distant from one another, marriage is this exercise of new opportunities of showing love to another. So we kind of slump back in our chairs and say, yeah, yeah, Brady, love, we know about this, Christian love, yes, this is the fulfilling of the law. We get it. We're familiar with it. And so we kind of sit back safely, and yet I wonder if we're really responding with this kind of love. If we're engaged because the background that I talked about is not just about medical things. It's about this world that we've created that's really largely about the self. And we prefer, it seems, to live in an observation space where we live our life in a mediated space. We watch what happens elsewhere. We make a presentation of ourselves out to the world, almost like a plate. Here's the food and the garnish and the vegetable, and we get it just looking just right. We take a picture of it, we send it out there. And then we kind of slop on our couch, hit the Cheeto bag, and a puff of artificial cheese goes in the air, settles as an orange cloud dust over everything. And we think we might should do something about it, but we just look over and reach into the cold pizza box and get another piece of pizza, and we eat the pizza. We've got one world that we're living in that people think we're a part of, and the real world of Cheeto dusts and pizza. And we're not living in a reality that shows that this love is impacting who we are. It's like we think we can download friendship without being a friend. Getting outside of ourselves and showing love to other people. 
And that gets at where I really want us to land, on this debt of love that we owe. Because I think it's something about the direction. Sometimes we think about love in terms of what somebody else owes me in terms of love, how I want to be loved, how I want to be treated as a friend. And yet Paul changes that look entirely. He changes the direction and says, no, you owe a debt of love to others. Do you see that shift, that arrow turning from what comes to you to outward, what goes to other people? And I think he puts this oxymoron together to help us think about the other and our neighbor and our enemy so that we can turn that arrow around and lead us more deeply into life together. We're not just waiting for someone to do something for us. We're not waiting for the perfect friend or the perfect church or the perfect whatever to come our way. We're investing in what God has given us right here in the here and now. What's in front of us? That is about taking the urgency of this time and waking up to it. Being alert. Not conked out asleep on the couch. Not allowing love to be something about how my desires and how my cravings are fulfilled and how they're satisfied. So I ask you, are you asleep? Are you asleep to the debt of love that you owe? Because there's a tremendous joy whenever we give love to other people. Think about the things that you've been given, the ways that God has blessed you in your life. You know, the people that have poured into you, they've given of, your, of their expertise, they've given of their learning. What have you done with that? Are you giving that away? Are you sharing that with the universe? Are you letting that goodness go out from you? Or are you sitting in your four walls, isolated from others, complaining about what life is and not looking outward? That's the big challenge of this test, of this text today. Are we asleep? Are we asleep to what God has given to us? Or are we willing to give it away to others? That returning of the goodness is something that should happen. And it might be worth your while to think about all the ways that you've been blessed and maybe the ways that you can give it away to others. I think Christianity is so cool. It is the best way to seek God. Because it's so simple. I know we make it complex, preachers stand up here and it sounds very difficult, biblical scholars, religious academics, they make it complex, but yet Jesus helps us see it so simply. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as yourself. When you have that outward focus of loving God and loving others, you'll love yourself in a new way, but you will boot, do so in that together story. A love that is reaching out to God, reaching out to others, that's what gets us connected to this together story. Because that's what we see in Jesus. The perfect example, example of laying down his life for others, of being self-emptying in what he does for other people. And I say, wake up. Wake up, dead man. I say man because a lot of times we're the ones who are asleep. I, I'm thankful for my family. My mom is not asleep. 
Today is the two-year two anniversary of her becoming a widow, but she is serving in her community, serving in her church. Staying up with her friend was, who was in a terrible car accident and helping and assisting in her recovery. My mom is someone who is awake, preparing meals for other people, taking care of the widows that are on her block. Janine is someone who is awake. My wife is awake. She's the most highly evolved human being I've ever met. She is one who's constantly growing moving with me from one state to another state, being willing to speak when she would much prefer, rather being silent, being one who offers hospitality, who opens up her home, who shows love to so many people. My wife is one who is awake. You might question her judgment for loving me, but she is one who is not asleep. My daughter is one who is awake, a leader in her clubs at school, a leader in performance of music, someone who often finds herself alone among youth group people. She's willing to give friendship to anyone, willing to say the loving word, the hard word, whatever needs to be said or done at that time, she is a true friend. My daughter, Lizzie, is awake. My 21-year-old son, who followed me his senior year in high school to be here in New Mexico, who then left for his freshman year in college in yet another state, who's not enjoying moving around everywhere so much anymore, is one who is awake. He's one who's driven towards perfection and yet content to make mistakes, able to see those as God's grace. Someone who's an anchor among his friends, whether they're Christian or non-Christian, it doesn't matter. He's an anchor. Nathan is someone who is awake. This church is a group of people who are awake. They look for the places to serve. They look for the teaching that needs to be done. They are following Jesus, and it's not just like the number one task on the list. But this is a church where following Jesus infuses every minute, every moment, every decision. It is who we are. And yet I still say, just like Paul would have said through Phoebe, wake up. If you need a place to challenge you even further, U2's song, Wake Up Dead Man, is a great place to go. The lyrics are great, unless you're afraid of four-letter words. But it pushes you. It pushes you as a call to God to wake up. It pushes you as a person to wake up to the world around you. It pushes all of us to wake up. Whenever we follow Jesus, we are people that are doing the things that Jesus said. We're being with Jesus in the places that he leads us, which means that this God who created us has given us Jesus to lead us through life full of the power of the Holy Spirit. Are you awake? Are you awake? Are there things that you can do in your life that show that you are more awake? To let that direction of love point outward, away from you, where you're no longer just a repository where everything's coming to you, but where that arrow turns outward to the world, outward to those that are in your close, immediate circle. If any, have ears to hear, let them hear.